Thank you for joining us at Key Life Fellowship for our pulpit ministry podcast. Each sermon on this podcast is from our 11 a.m. Sunday service. We are glad that you have joined us digitally, but would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at either 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Now, let's open God's Word and ask Him to reveal His truths for our lives. Would turn to the 18th chapter of the Gospel of John. And we have been traveling through John verse by verse, and we find ourselves here at this place in John's 18th chapter, where we saw last week the first installment of a series of messages covering the arrest and trials of Jesus. And today we are going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week we left off at verse 27 after looking at Jesus' religious trials. We, we know that he went before Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, and they really couldn't get their story together. They really couldn't get any hard evidence against Christ to convict him. And I told you last week that, that there would also be three Roman trials. He would go before Pilate, and then he would go before Herod because Pilate wanted to somewhat passed the buck on to Herod, and then Herod would then simply pass the buck back to Pilate. And we are seeing that first phase of this today in verses 28 through 40. We are going to see Jesus is going to, after his arrest, now stand trial before Pontius Pilate. Just as I told you last week, as we looked at his religious trials, I told you this. I said there are some elements that if you're not careful, you will overlook these things. You will read past them. You won't see them though they are clear and they are evident, and though they are biblical truths. The same is true in this message today. We are going to be looking not at the elements of his Roman trials and his trial here before Pilate, but we're going to be looking at four familiar types of people or personalities that we're going to see come to the surface here. And I told the men beforehand, uh, before we prayed prior to service, that three out of the four personalities and people that we see, three out of four of them are unbelievers. And only one of the categories that Jesus is going to himself mention, does a true believer really follow, fall into? So follow closely. Follow closely here today because you will fit in one of these categories. You will be one of the people groups that we are going to talk about and that Scripture defines for us today. I pray upon hearing that, that you take the proper course when you hear those truths. We look at verse 28, and we'll read it together, and then we'll come back and dissect these truths. It says in verse 28, Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. That's the praetorium, and we know this. It says, By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So I want, to, I want you to see this as we read this, that these Jews who are desiring in their heart to murder Jesus are worried that they will be unclean if they go into a Gentile's home. And the reason for this is because this is the feast of the unleavened bread, and, and they assumed that the Gentiles would not be observing this, and they knew that the law would not allow them to enter into a house nor to have yeast in their house or to enter that house that had yeast in it. On top of that, the Gentiles in and of themselves were unclean. So I find it very interesting, and we're going to talk a lot about this today, that these particular people were worried about whether they were going to be able to observe the Passover feast 
and not worried about the fact that they were trying to convict an innocent, perfect man so that they could see him murdered. So it goes on and it says this, verse 29, So Pilate Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? They wouldn't go into Pilate for fear that they would become unclean. So Pilate goes out to them and says, What are you bringing against him? Verse 30 says, if, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. They're saying, we brought him to you because he's a criminal. Now, if you'll remember with me the last lesson, they couldn't find anything on him. They couldn't find any charges to bring against him in that religious court system. So now what they're going to do is they're hoping that Pilate is going to find Jesus as an insurrectionist who's causing trouble. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone because they had lost their right to the Romans. We know that under Old Testament stipulations, they could actually stone people and take their lives under certain situations and circumstances. But here under Roman rule, the Romans would not allow them to do that. They were the final say. And they said, we don't have any right to execute anyone. Now, pay attention to that because they revealed their true heart here, didn't they? They wanted Jesus gone. They wanted to execute him. The Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Oh, we see God's sovereign hand here. Jesus, remember, as he spoke, he told them that the Son of Man must be lifted up. He spoke of a Roman cross there. He spoke of a crucifixion. That was not the manner by which the Jews were ever going to execute someone. In fact, their preferred method was stoning them to death. But Jesus said that I'm going to be lifted up. This is God's sovereign hand in using even wicked men to accomplish his task. So it says in verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? 34 says, Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? Of course, Jesus knew the answer. Pilate says, Am I a Jew? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Pilate's saying, I don't see anything wrong with you. What have you done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. Interestingly enough, we see that Peter, just moments before this, actually drew the sword, cut off Malchus' ear. Jesus picks it up, puts it back on. Jesus taught him this lesson. This is not time for that. Now, we know this. The same Jesus who says that if, if this was my kingdom, my servants would prevent my arrest. The same Jesus who says that we know in Revelation chapter 19 is going to come back to this earth with a sword from his mouth, and he's going to slay the wicked in the valley of Megiddo to the point that the blood rises to the bridle of the horses. But it's not yet time. He is simply telling Pilate this, I'm a king, but I'm not a king of this world. One day I will return and I will establish my kingdom on this earth, but it's not now. My kingdom will come down. It's not from here. You are a king then, said Pilate, Jesus answered. You're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. And what is the truth? that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. 
He is God incarnate. Everything that he has been testifying to, the entire gospel of John as we have seen it unfolded. He says, that's why I came here, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Please, if you would, highlight or underline that word, everyone. It's going to be of great importance in just a moment. Verse 38, Pilate then says, what is truth? His response was sarcastic. What is truth? He had grown up under the Roman culture where they were all seeking truth and philosophy and ideology and idolatry. He simply says, what is truth? I'm not going to get caught up in the argument, the age-old argument again of truth. What is truth? Revealing that he truly wasn't a person of truth. With this, he went out again to the Jews and asked and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Pilate thought that he saw his way out. I find no fault in him. They can't do anything. But I don't want them to rebel against Rome. I don't want to cause a big tisk. So don't you want me to release to you Jesus, the king of the Jews? To which, in verse 40, they shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. And John goes on to tell us this, as we can find other details about Barabbas in other gospel accounts. But John says this, Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. So the very thing that they want Pilate to convict Jesus of, insurrection and a rebellion against Rome, they now call for him to not release Jesus, who was not an insurrectionist, and to release an insurrectionist who caused a rebellion and who Matthew says was a murderer. I find it very interesting. Because when we look at this, we see all types of people and personalities. Many of them we still, we still see today. In fact, we see all of them today. In fact, there are some of them of each category sitting in our midst right now. And I want you to pay close attention to that. I want you to pay close attention to the groups that we see defined for us here. Verse 28 defines for us the first group, verses 28 through 32, and that is the hypocrites. The hypocrites. And these hypocrites are exemplified by the religious leaders of the day. Look at verse 28 again through 32. Very important that we analyze this and that we see the hypocritical nature of these Jewish leaders. 28. Again, the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. They couldn't find anything on him, so they said, let's take him to Rome. Let's bring another charge against him. And so they did this. But they would not go into the praetorium. They would not go into the place where Pilate was staying. And the reason that they wouldn't is because if they did, they would defile themselves religiously. Now, how sad is that? That they were so hypocritical that they were only concerned with outward religion. These hypocrites, they are the outwardly religious. They were concerned only about their rituals. They were concerned only about becoming unclean before the Passover by going into a Gentile dwelling. They knew that if they did, then during Passover, they couldn't be seen as some type of religious superheroes. They couldn't be seen as the upstanding citizens there of Jerusalem. They knew that this threatened their outward 
status. And they didn't want to lose that. They had worked hard their whole life to attain thought righteousness, which was no righteousness at all, according to Isaiah, who tells us that our righteousness in and of ourselves is that of filthy rags. But yet these hypocrites, as do hypocrites in our time, they were concerned only about what did they look like on the outside to others. They didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to look religious during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, during this sacred time. They desired to play their religious games instead of trusting Christ to cleanse them of their inward sin. It was just a show. They were on a theater stage. Oh, isn't that where the hypocrite performs best? On the stage. But yet when they get off the stage, their lives says something completely different about what they portray while they're on the stage. These Pharisees, these hypocrites, wanted to be on the stage, and they knew they couldn't be on the stage if they were defiled by their outward religious beliefs. It was a show, a performance. Oh, so many have fallen into the trap of religious performance and have forsaken Christ in the name of religious performance. And oh, the eternal dangers... Will you hear that? Oh, the eternal dangers that await those with outward religion that is absent from true inward conversion. On a room this size, there would be those who fall into this category. They have learned enough Christianese that they can speak the lingo. They have learned how to act the act. They perform it great on a Sunday morning, but the rest of their life is a literal hell because they are still wicked and vile. They're outwardly religious, these hypocrites, but they're also inwardly vile. They are inwardly vile, and they're going to reveal this. In fact, Jesus rebukes them in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 23, verse 27, and he says this. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you religious Leaders, you hypocrites. Now, don't you like how Jesus waters it down so it's easier for them to swallow? No, he doesn't. He says, you hypocrites, you're playing religious games, and you don't even know God. He said, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. He's saying you worry about making the outside look just right, but you know the truth about your inward wickedness. You're dead. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people of righteous, people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I would challenge you this morning, don't look on the outside don't look on the outside of your life to see if, if perhaps you have enough religion to save you. Your religion is not going to save you. It is Christ that saves us, and he saves us from the inside out through sovereign Holy Spirit-empowered regeneration where he quickens your dead soul because that's what Ephesians tells us we are dead in our sin. He quickens us to life so that we can see our dreaded state, so that we can call out to Christ, and so that we can be saved. These, these hypocrites knew nothing of it, only concerned with the outward while inwardly vile. Their religion was built entirely 
on pretense instead of truth. Pretense instead of truth. While attempting to look religious, they were inwardly murderers. I'm not making this up. Look at it in its context. They are bringing Christ to Pilate because they want him murdered. But yet they are worried that if they walked into Pilate's home, they would somehow become undefiled. Or defiled, excuse me. And they wanted to remain undefiled because of outward religion. They were murderers on the inside. Well, how many of us here today are wicked on the inside? Only pretending on the outside. Wicked on the inside, only pretending on the outside. Did you know that's the true definition of a hypocrite, a wearer of a mask? You put your Sunday mask on, but you know the truth. You know what goes on all of the time inwardly. You know that you truly have not surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know that you truly are not serving Him. You know that you truly do not belong to Him. But to save face in the name of your thought, religious ideology, you pretend to be something that you are not. They were inwardly vile, though outwardly religious. Many have learned, haven't they? Many have learned to play the part. Look good on the outside. They are actors and they are fakes and they are phonies because on the inside they are still wicked and lost and detestable sinners just as I once was before Christ redeemed this wretch. John Calvin says this. He says, hypocrisy can plunge the mind of a man into a dark abyss when he believes his own self-flattery instead of God's verdict. Stop believing your own self-flattery instead of what God truly says about who you are. And today, come to your senses. Today, repent of your sin. Turn from your hypocrisy and your wickedness and turn to Christ. Don't be like these hypocrites. These hypocrites who say, we, we want to, in the name of religion, not go into Pilate's house while all the while plotting to kill the perfect king. Oh, how sad it is, but how it is so true in many people's lives today. The hypocrite wants to get rid of everyone and everything that brings conviction in their lives. These hypocrites wanted to get rid of Christ because Christ brought true conviction. So we see the hypocrites. And I would implore you this morning, if you are that hypocrite, there are two people who know that for sure. One is you, and the other is Christ. And so don't really worry about the opinions of others in this matter. If today Christ reveals to you through his Holy Spirit that you are a hypocrite in need of an internal cleansing, in need of true salvation, cry out to Christ. It is he that is revealing that to you. You know the truth, and he knows the truth. Stop pretending. There will be many who pretend all the way to hell, just as Judas did. We see the hypocrites, but secondly, we see this in this text, the compromisers, those who compromise. We see this exemplified by Pilate in his compromise here. Verse 33, we see Pilate. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? 
Now, he asked that question, and in verse 38, in the latter part of 38, what does he say? I find no fault in this man. I can't find any basis for charge against him. Now, what's interesting about this is Pilate knew the truth. Isn't that what a compromiser does? He knows the truth. But yet, even though the compromiser knows the truth, he acts against the truth. The compromiser knows the truth. He said, I find no basis for the charge against him. Pilate knew there was no evidence to convict Christ of what the Jews wanted him to be convicted of. He knew that Christ was innocent. He said it on more than one account. He knew the truth. And watch this. 2,000 years later, we still know the same truth that Pilate knew. There was no charge to be brought against Christ, not in the courts of Judaism and also not in the courts of Rome. There was nothing that he had done wrong. Why? He is and was a perfect sinner without spot and without blemish. Pilate knew it. Know the dangers that he placed himself under. According to James, James 4.17 says this. He says, for he who knows to do right yet chooses to do wrong to him, it is what? Sin. It's sin. And so what Pilate did and what compromisers do, he willfully sinned even after knowing the truth. Some of you are going to hear the truth today. You're hearing it now. You're going to compromise. You're going to remain in a lie. You're going to compromise with the truth. You're going to hear the truth. But yet you were going to choose compromise. Why did he choose compromise? He chose compromise even though he knew the truth. The compromiser compromises to avoid conflict. They compromise to avoid conflict. Pilate knew the truth, but he knew this. If I turn Jesus loose, the Jews are going to riot. And Rome was in constant fear of another rebellion from the Jews. They did not want this to happen. In fact, that was one of the reasons Pilate was there, was to keep peace during this time of Passover. And he doesn't want message to get back to Rome that he didn't do his job in keeping some type of rebellion at bay. He wanted to be loyal to Caesar instead of loyal to God. And so what did he do? He compromised. And he compromised to avoid conflict. That's what he's attempting to do here, to avoid conflict. Knowing the truth, yet still compromising. You say, Kirk, how can you be so confident that he really knew the truth? Look at chapter 27 of Matthew. Chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 19, tells us something very interesting. You read a portion of it earlier during our Scripture reading. But it says in verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Not only could Pilate not find any guilt in Christ, God sent a dream to his very wife who approached him to say, Pilate, he is innocent. He knew the truth. He knew the truth. Yet he continued to compromise the truth for fear of a conflict. Pilate compromised because he feared others. He compromised because he feared the Jews and what would come about. We know this because Luke's account tells us this detail. Chapter 23, verse 20. Wanting to release Jesus. That was Pilate's 
desire. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. What a compromiser. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Of course, he's talking about the swap between Barabbas and Christ. And isn't it true that still, even in our time today, 2023 in New Caney, Texas, many have heard the truth, the undeniable truth of Christ, yet they continue on a road of compromise. Can I tell you this with all the love in my heart? The road of compromise leads to the wrath of God and the judgment of God in hell. Pilate, the quintessential picture of a compromiser, knowing the truth, yet compromising. Thirdly, you see, the next group of people here in this text is the people of truth. I told you that there are three unbelieving groups here and one believing group. This is the one believing group in verse 36. Watch how Jesus defines them. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Of course, Pilate says, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate sarcastically and cynically says, what is truth? What is it? You got nothing for me, Christ? I've heard all about all kinds of truth. You're just another truth to me that is no truth at all. The people of truth. Jesus defines them for us there in this passage. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Please pay attention to this because he's talking about the true believers. These are believers that are nothing new to us. They are the same ones that he talked about in John chapter 10 who hear his voice and who follow and obey him. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. They hear the truth of Christ. They hear the gospel. And when they hear the gospel, they surrender to the gospel. Why? They are people of truth. It is the gospel when it is preached that opens the eyes and opens the dead souls of those who are Christ so that they can believe. They are people of truth. They believe. They believe the gospel. They surrender to Christ by faith. They believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. Isn't that the whole point of John's gospel? He said, I write these things that you may believe that he is the Son of God, and that in believing you may have eternal life. The people of truth believe Christ. They believe he is who he says that he is. They're no longer of this world, just as Jesus said. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Aren't you thankful that you belong to another kingdom? Oh, what if this was the extent of it? As this world just continues to darken around us, 
As society continues just to fall further and further away from truth, further and further away from God, aren't you thankful that you don't belong to this world, that the kingdom that Christ is talking about, the kingdom that you belong to, is a kingdom that is in heaven that awaits you? Remember in 14, he said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. That's where I'm going. And if I do that, I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to that place. It is his kingdom. It is a privilege to belong to that kingdom. It is only the people of truth who belong to that kingdom. They're no longer of this world. In fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says in reference to the believers, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's truth. Well, if you're a person of the truth, you bear witness to that. Well, it's interesting today that so many so-called Christians are living like this is their kingdom, like this is their destiny. Oh, be not mistaken, dear believer. We are passing through this world to a kingdom that belongs to Christ. He makes that very clear. Oh, yes, Father, I'm a king, but not of the order that you think of. I'm not a sinful king as this world has seen. I'm a sinless king who will rule and reign forever and ever. He lets Pilate know this because he knows that Pilate is not a person of truth so that he can speak of the people of truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. They hear the gospel. They believe the truth. They no longer live as if they belong to this world because they understand there is a greater kingdom where our citizenship rests. They hear the truth of Christ. But then they follow the truth of Christ. Oh, many of you will hear the truth of Christ today. But the people of truth will follow the truth of Christ. Oh, so many people have sat in church their whole lives hearing the truth of Christ over and over and over again, but never following Christ. The people of truth follow the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say everyone on the side of truth hears me. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, husbands? When you heard your wife, but you didn't listen. Wives, you also know too when you do the same. You know when your children hear you, right? Charlie Brown's teacher talking, wah, 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 wah. But they're not listening. And how do you know they're not listening? Because you told them something they didn't obey. They were only hearing just words. Oh, well, many people will settle for just hearing the words. But Jesus makes it very clear. Everyone on the side of truth, my side, my kingdom, my people, every one of them listened to me. Just as he said in John chapter 10, Verses 1 through 4, he said, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. Speaking of that great shepherd, he said, The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. They know the truth. They know his voice. Not only do they know the truth, they follow the truth. They take his word at literal face value. They don't twist it. 
They don't manipulate it. They don't retrofit it to fit their lifestyle of choice. No, they take the literal word of God and they say, thus saith the Lord. Why do you live the way that you live? Because the word of God says that the people of God live this way. That's why we do what we do. Are you somehow trying to earn salvation by living a good life? No, I'm living a good life because salvation was graciously granted to me in Christ who suffered and who died on a cross for my sin. The least I can do is live a life of appreciation for the one who gave his all for me. Well, they are the people of truth. They hear his word and they obey his word. Just as he said in John chapter 14, verse 15, what did he say to us? He said, if you love me, you might obey me if you get the chance. You might consider obeying me if it's convenient for you. Well, you might think on this matter. No, he doesn't say any of those things. He says very plainly, if you love me, you will obey what I command. That is in the imperative in the Greek. It is an I will. It is a command. You will obey him. Are you in Christ this morning? If you're in Christ, you hear the truth and you obey the truth. Why? Because you're people of the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to Christ. They hear his word and they obey. Pilate shows us the exact opposite of that. He hears his word and he gives a snarky response. What is truth? A true Christian can never ask that question, could they? What is truth? We don't have to ask that question. We know what truth is. Truth is Christ. We know John 14, 6 that Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. We know the truth. Because we know the truth, we listen to the truth. We obey the truth. A true person of God will not settle for anything less than truth. I'm so thankful that God is raising up a group of people here at Key Life Fellowship who will not settle for anything but biblical truth. Biblical truth. Why? Because these are the very words of God. This is absolute truth. I am thankful for a group of people who are God's people who stand on the absolute truth of the Word of God. That God's Word trumps everything else. I am thankful for a group of people who stand on the absolute truth of the gospel being the only way of salvation. I am thankful for you. I am thankful for those people who stand on the absolute truth that there is no other Savior. It is Christ and Christ alone who is the Savior of all who will believe and trust in Him. And so many people claim to be of the truth, but yet they falter when it comes down to truth. He said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Oh, do you want to know if you're truly a Christian? I get this question all the time. How can I know if I'm truly a Christian? It's very simple. Do you follow Christ? Well, it can't be that simple, Kirk. Oh, yes, it is that simple. Do you follow Christ? It is following Christ at salvation when he brings you to that place of brokenness and repentance. And it is following Christ every single day of your life from that point on. You will obey him. You say, well, what if I don't? He says, you don't love him. I didn't say that. Make an ugly face at me. 
He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And isn't it an amazing thing that we get to obey him? Why do I love? Because he first loved me. Do you know this? He loved us when we were scoundrels. Romans 5.8 tells us God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What kind of love is that? Oh, the least I can do is be obedient then to what he has commanded me out of appreciation for him and bringing glory to him with my life. We see the people of truth. And then we see the last group. The last group, verses 39 through 40. The haters. Those who hate Christ. This is exemplified in this text by the multitude who goes to great extremes to reject Christ. Isn't it interesting that people are putting so much effort into rejecting Christ these days? They were doing it then. So much effort into trying to erase Jesus. Verse 39. Pilate speaks to them and he says, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? He thought that was going to be a rhetorical question. He thought that the answer was going to be obviously yes. No. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. The haters don't want Christ at all. They completely reject him in every way on every single day of their lives. They reject Christ. They do not want Christ. They have no place in their wicked lives for Christ. In fact, we can go all the way back to John chapter 3, and I hope you can remember back that far. It hasn't been that long ago. Well, maybe. We go back to John chapter 3, and we see this. Verse 19, it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want Christ. They wanted their sin. Many of you don't want Christ. You want your sin. He goes on to say in verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Do you know why these haters hated Christ so much? Because he convicted them. Everything that he spoke was truth. Even the things that they didn't like when he gave them all of the list of woes that he had upon them. They hated him for it. And why did they hate him for it? Not because those things weren't true. They knew those things were true. They hated him because he brought them to light. He showed them what they really are. They hated Christ. Those who hate Christ, they have no place for him in their wicked lives. John 7, verse 7, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says this, the world cannot hate you. Oh, you know it was because his disciples were thinking, man, to follow you, Jesus, means everybody's going to hate us. And Jesus says the world cannot hate you, though they felt hated. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify that what it does is evil. Uh, Jesus said they can't hate you because you're evil in and of yourself. You're depraved sinners. But me, on the other hand, I am perfect in all of my ways. I am a perfect Savior. And they hate me. They hate me because I testify that what they do is evil. Oh, isn't that the world today? They hate everything 
that is of Christ because they hate Christ. Remember during the COVID thing? The world hated when the Christians said enough is enough. We are not going to forsake the assembly of the saints. They hated us for it. Why? Did they really hate us? No. They hate Christ. Oh, they could gather in the stadiums. They could gather in the streets to riot. But the Christian could not gather to sing praise and adoration to the Lord Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel message, revealing that they hate Christ. The world hates Christ. They hated him then. They hate him now. Not only do they not want Christ, but they want anything but Christ. They want anything instead of Christ. Look what they said there. Give us Barabbas. What? A real criminal? A murdering insurrectionist? That, that's what you want to, to go out onto the, into the streets of Jerusalem today instead of Christ, the Prince of Peace who came and Scripture says about him that he didn't come for any other reason than to redeem sinners? And we know this, that even the prophet testified that he would not even crush the bruised reed or to snuff out the smoldering flax. He didn't come to hurt anyone but to save the lost. Oh, yeah, give us Barabbas. We want anything but Jesus. Give us Barabbas. In fact, Acts chapter 3, Peter confronts them on this. He says in verse 14, You disowned the holy and righteous one, speaking to the religious leaders, and asked that a murderer be released to you. Murderer. Oh, people hate Jesus enough that they will take anything but Jesus. They will accept even eternal damnation in hell instead of surrendering to Jesus. Oh, you would think that when you hear the general call of the gospel, that we're sinners and we're all separated from God and we're all in need of a Savior. And to be saved, you must repent and trust in Jesus Christ today as Lord and Savior. And in that, you can be saved and washed and cleansed of all your sin and granted eternal life. You would think in just the general call of the gospel... People would say this, oh, that sounds a lot better than hell. That's what I want. But instead, you know what they say? Give us Barabbas. Give us hell. Give us judgment. Give us wrath. As long as we get to enjoy our sin for this small little vapor called life. Oh, but when that vapor passes, and judgment begins, they will soon see that they hated Christ. Because they hated Christ, they will be judged for their sin for all eternity. They hate Jesus. That's what the world does. That's what I did before I was included and saved and graciously rescued in Christ. I hated everything about Christ. Why? I would go to church and you know what? They would tell me, I'm a sinner. And I didn't like it. I hated it. Well, I thought I hated the messenger. But you know what I really did? I hated Christ because it was my very nature to hate him. Stop hating Christ today. It's what the world does. They hate Jesus. In fact, John 15, if I can remind you of that again, he said this. 
Verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. I'm so thankful that he chose me out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. These people are godless and do not know him. Verse 22 says, if I had come and spoken to them, if I had not come, excuse me, and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Who is he talking about there? He's talking about those religious people who were going to sentence him to death. They hated everything about Christ. But they would accept anything in his place. They'll accept wickedness. They'll accept sin, debauchery, false religion, sexual immorality, addiction. They'll accept anything under the sun in a sinful state except Christ. They hate him. And they yell out, give us this murderous insurrectionist named Barabbas. But get rid of Jesus. Get rid of Jesus. We hate him. And we want him gone. If you loved the world and lived for the world, the world will love you. But if you love Christ and you live for Christ, the world will hate you because they hate Christ. Why is it important that we look at all of these people groups as we wrap this thing up this morning? Well, it's important because you fit in one of these groups. And can I tell you this? The hater who seems so brash and obstinate and immoral He's no different than the hypocrite who seems religious. He's no different than the compromiser who fudges on truth. They're all equally unbelievers. Which one are you? Perhaps today you're that hypocrite. You wear a mask every Sunday morning pretending to be something that you're not. Oh, I don't know why you do it. You may not know why you do it. That's really irrelevant. You do it. I pray today that God would show you that. He would break you, bring you to a place of repentance, a place where you cry out to Jesus as your only hope to forgive you and cleanse you from your wicked heart, from your sin. Perhaps you're that compromiser. Oh, you know the truth week after week. You can even recite it. You've never surrendered to the truth. You're not people of truth. You're not that person who has said, Jesus, you're my Lord, and I follow you. You're not the one who sings the old hymn, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. You're still singing your own song. You're still living for your own anthem. 
You're the compromiser. Maybe you're that true believer today. Be encouraged. It's only by grace that you have been saved through faith. Thank Christ for that this morning. Walk in the truth because you are a person of truth. Maybe you're that hater. You despise Christ. I hate going to church. And let me tell you this. If you hate his church, you hate him. I'm going to say that again so the back row can hear it. If you hate his church, you hate him. This is his body to which he is the head. I've heard so many people say, well, I, I, I really I have a relationship with God, but I'm not going to be a part of a church. Why? We're all them hypocrites. Well, come on down, buddy. We can use another one. You hate his church. You hate Christ. Perhaps today he would grant you grace and mercy and forgiveness. Perhaps today you truly would repent and turn to him as Lord and Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has spoken. Lord, we are not in control of the results, nor can we manipulate the results. We trust your Holy Spirit to do what only you can do, and that is save sinners. That is encourage saints. That is empower saints to do the work and the will of God. And God, we ask now that your Spirit would move, that you would draw those who are in sin out of darkness and into light, that they would believe and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. God, I pray for the Christian who is here today. That they realize when they do live a life of truth, that they will not be accepted by this world any longer, but that they do have a kingdom, your kingdom, to look forward to for all eternity. And we thank you for that, Jesus. And we pray and we ask all these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Key Life Fellowship Pulpit Ministry Podcast. If you would like to talk with one of our pastors, please email us at info at keylifefellowship.org or call us at 281-689-1604. You can also visit our website at www.keylifefellowship.com. We hope and pray you have a blessed week. And remember, you are light in the darkness.